morning. It uh, was a blessing to hear you sing, and uh, I trust that uh, the Lord will give us a song in our mouths and our hearts uh, throughout uh, the days that we uh, live, uh, throughout the coming uh, days. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to finish up Matthew 19. Well, it's been a while since we've been uh, that we've been in here in Matthew 19. We're going to finish it up and get into chapter 20 uh, today as well. God is not as uh, we would expect Him to be any times. As we learn about him from the Bible, we discover that he's not like us. He doesn't think like we think. He doesn't respond to things as we respond to them. Doesn't do things that we would do. And long ago Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And this morning, as we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew, we discover yet another example, I believe, of how God's ways are higher than our ways, and how His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It's found actually in chapter 20 here, in the first 16 verses, and it's in the parable our Lord gives of the workers for the laborers in the vineyard. And so let's look at our text this morning, beginning in chapter 20 and beginning in verse 1. It says, as Jesus spoke to his disciples, said, For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever, ye, uh, whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. And again he uh, went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle. They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. And when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired, about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought what one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way, and I will give unto the last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil, because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last, 
for many be called, but few chosen. Now, according to strictly human standards, it would be very unfair labor practices to pay the same amount to someone who only worked one hour as someone who had worked the same job all day. At least that's the way people look at things today, right? Uh, We would define fairness as treating people equally. Then the man in Jesus' parable is an unfair employer. We certainly can't say that he was unjust, of course, because he contracted some to, uh, to pay them a certain amount for a day's work, and he kept his promise. But he wasn't fair by human standards in that he didn't give the people equal treatment. Now, if the AFL-CIO had read this, uh, they would have a fit. You know, they'd say, this is terrible. Of course, the AFL-CIO uh, would insist that things be done according to human standards of equality, and what would naturally expect that God would do things at the least, very least as human standards of fairness would demand. But then, you know what? The AFL-CIO doesn't operate on the principle of grace, does it? And thankfully, God does. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And that's the point, I believe, that's illustrated for us wonderfully in this parable. Think about the context in which this parable was spoken. A man had come up to Jesus and he wanted to know what he needed to do in order to have eternal life. That man was that young, rich, and powerful ruler. He was, in every aspect or respect, a success by the world's standards, and yet he knew that he didn't have eternal life. And since he wanted to know what it was that he himself needed to do to earn eternal life, Jesus told him. He made his riches his God, and he would need to forsake his false God by selling all that he had, giving the money to the poor, and faithfully following Jesus. But you know, as we saw there in that story, as a result, the man went away in great sadness. He knew that he could never do in his own power what Jesus said he needed to do to have eternal life. And I think this was a teachable moment, of course, for the Lord's disciples, opportunity for him to stress uh, that God doesn't save men on the basis of what they can do. That's not the basis that he saves. It's not on the basis of human merit, but it's the basis of his grace. You remember the verse there in chapter 19 and verse 26, with men, this, that is, obtaining eternal life, is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so this set the disciples to thinking. They certainly weren't powerful. They weren't successful as far as the world was concerned. And yet they had done what the rich young ruler did not do. And so speaking in behalf of the others, Peter says to the Lord, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? 
Jesus told them there back in chapter 19, verse 28 and 29, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit on, in the throne of his glory, ye also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel and every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. We looked at that last Sunday. Jesus assures them they didn't need to fear. They, uh, he wouldn't forget their sacrifice for him. He would faithfully give back to them all that they had given up for him. And what's more, they would have the very thing that this rich young ruler could not earn for himself in his own power, and that is everlasting eternal life. But lest any of his followers should come become arrogant, should look down their noses at others, or think themselves to be the greatest in the kingdom because uh, they did more, or sacrificed more, or followed longer, or on the other hand, lest any of them should be discouraged in their service to him and think that they would never amount to much in this kingdom, Jesus then adds the additional information there in verse 30, but many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And to help explain that remarkable statement there in the end of chapter 19, Jesus goes on then to tell the parable that is before us today, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Jesus lets his followers know that on the great day in heaven when they will all give an account of their service to him, that when rewards are for service are given, the predominating principle he will operate on is not the same as the world operates on. It will not be the basis of human merit, but rather on the principle of grace. Now this parable has something very important to teach us as a church family as well. Each genuine believer and follower of Jesus right here this morning has a part to play in the work of the kingdom. But our Lord assures us that we can give ourselves fully over to the work. But we must understand that our service to Him is really all a matter of grace and through and through from the beginning to the end. And we need to keep that in mind. If we don't keep that in mind, we won't have the right attitude about the service that we do for the Lord or the work or about others that He calls to His labor. On the one hand, we may end up looking upon ourselves as so unworthy of being in His service that we're hindered from doing the work that He actually calls us to do. Sometimes people say, well, I just got saved too late in life. I've come to believe on Him too late, and I've spent so many years in sin. I've done so many things that are so unworthy of God's grace and His love, and so I'm really not going to be much good in His service. Or we might fear that, well, I just don't have any skills. I don't have the talent to do what really counts for the Lord. Ever thought that way? This parable lets us know that because God operates on the principle of grace rather than on human merit, 
we can give ourselves faithfully to His service in whatever area He's called us, knowing that we work for a master who does not measure the value of his labors as the world does, he overwhelmingly is gracious to those who serve him, at no matter what time in life they come to him. On the other hand, we may end up looking so highly upon ourselves that we think, well, you know, others are unworthy. We begin to feel like, you know, I deserve a higher place of honor in his kingdom. You know, I've walked with God longer than these others have walked with God. Or I've repented of sin sooner in my life because I've labored more diligently and our efforts have been more, are more valuable in human terms than others. And again, this parable reminds us that because the Lord operates on the principle of grace rather than human merit, we need to do our work for Him in the kingdom with a humble attitude. Our Master evaluates His servants in a far different way than people in this world do. God loves to shower grace upon those who are his followers, even the most unworthy in, this, in the world's eyes. And when it comes to work in his kingdom, many who are first will be last and the last first. And here's how this parable helps us. Knowing some of the truths about the rewards for service in Jesus' kingdom that we find in it will help us to keep a proper attitude in our labors. We won't think ourselves too unworthy, and we won't think ourselves too worthy. So let's look at this passage and see if we can find what God has, is teaching us here. Number one, the privilege to be called. The privilege to be called. Verse 1 again says, For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. Now in those days, a normal day was reckoned from sunrise to sunset. So when it says here early in the morning, it could refer to some time, maybe before 6 a.m., and there was work to do. There was a job to be done. Uh, there were grapes to be harvested. And as soon as he could, before the sun arose, the landowner went out to gather some workers into his vineyard. And the Lord Jesus certainly has some work to be done. Some work in advancing his kingdom. It has been started long ago, but it carries on even until this day. And if anyone should be called in the work in any capacity, it should be looked upon as an unspeakable great honor. What a privilege to serve God. If we're called, then we should be working for something that we realize we should be working as for something that's eternal. Something that's going to outlast this world. And what's more, we're going to be working for a master who will never fail to reward those who faithfully serve him. I wonder, have you been called to some particular work of service in the Lord's kingdom? Because there is plenty of work to be done. Each one of us has something to do. Now, not all of us can do everything. 
But every one of us can do something. Maybe you've been called to teach a Sunday school class. Maybe you've been called to provide some repair or maintenance work. I told uh, Jerry a little while ago, we, next time he talks to Ken Marsky, he needs to tell him, get himself back here. We've got lights that are burning out. In the, you know, He's our light replacer. You know, Nobody else around here can do that. I'm sure we can find somebody to do that. But whatever God's called you to do in his work, maybe go to visit someone, call upon someone who's sick, have you ever uh, have been called to provide some transportation or, or take a meal to somebody? Have you been called to share your faith in a particular setting? Do you see something in the work of the kingdom that needs to be done that you have the new, unique capacity to do? And are you feeling God's work, a call to get that work done? Well, if the Lord has called you into service of His kingdom in any capacity, you need to... Think rightly about that call. You need to know that it's a great privilege to be called into His service. You need to rejoice in it. You need to rise up immediately. Get to work. Give yourself fully to the thing that the Lord has given you to do. Don't hold back waiting for something better to do. Don't put it off looking for some other time. Do what he's called you and do it now. Remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 and 10, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So then the landowner, in our parable here, set out early in the day to gather workers into his vineyard, and Jesus tells us that he gathered some in the early morning hour, and he entered into the, an agreement with them. In verse 2, it says, and when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And some of you kids are saying, a penny a day? I'm not going to work for a penny. Well, back then, a penny was really a denarius and it was roughly equivalent to an average working man's wage for a day. Our wages today for a day's work are more than just a Lincoln penny. But that's the Bible word here that we have, and that was equivalent to a working man's wage. It was a standard wage for a day's work. And so the agreement being settled, off they went to work. But clearly the landowner needed more laborers than those he had just sent. And so he set out to get some more workers. Well, time goes by as he goes out to get some more workers. And this is where we discover another principle about our Lord in respect to the work in the kingdom. Notice, secondly, the laborers he chooses. We're told that the landowner entered into agreement with the first men he hired early in the morning, and then as the day progresses to the third hour about after sunrise, and that's about 9, 9 a.m., he saw some men standing over there in the marketplace, and they were idle, just hanging out. And he told them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give it unto you. Then as the day progressed even further, about noon, 
he did the same thing. He found some more men around, unemployed. He put them to work and sent them off to the vineyard. And again, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he found some more standing idle. He did the same with them. And all through the day, it seems, the man is finding able-bodied men who are idle and calling them into service into his vineyard. And even to the very last hour of the day, the 11th hour, that is about an hour before sundown, about 6 p.m., we're told... He went out and found others standing idle and said unto them, Why stand ye here all day idle? And he said unto them, and they said unto him, Because no man hath hired us. Now, stop and think for a moment about that last group of men. For them to be standing around in the marketplace near the end of the day suggests that they were really probably in desperate need of work. No one had hired them up to that point, and it looked as if they would have to go home to their families and have nothing to show for the day, nothing to bring home for food and necessities. It would have been perfectly understandable if at that point of the day they just said, what's the use? I'm just going to go home. But they stayed, still hoping for work, and even if they were only paid for one hour's worth of work, it would have been better than nothing. And the landowner finds them and said, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. Now he didn't post a notice at the marketplace the day before and accept everyone who showed up. Instead, he went out periodically through the day and he found men who were unemployed, sent them off personally promising them he would pay them whatever is right. And here again is a very important lesson for us to remember in the Lord's work. Our Lord sovereignly calls whomsoever he will and whoever he chooses to work in his field. He not only chooses whoever he wishes, but whenever he wishes. And some he calls in the early morning, some he calls later in the morning, some at noontime, some in early afternoon, And even some, which seems like almost the last minute, calls him in the last hour of the day. And there are some here this morning who have been called into his service in our early years. We were little more than children when God called us. And if we were, then we should be grateful that he spared us many years of wasted life in sin. I'm thankful for that this morning. I'm thankful that God called me when I was a boy. And I didn't do many of the things that some of you have done. I didn't waste those years. Now, I am certainly not a perfect person. I'm not telling you that. I didn't live a perfect life. I was a naughty boy. I had sin in my life that I had to confess. But I had a Savior I had the Holy Spirit living within me to prompt me to confess that sin, to keep me back from going into that bar or going into that place of sin. And I'm thankful for that. God called me into His service early in life. Some of you He called later. In the midst of the pursuit of a career, perhaps, or in the middle of making a name for yourself, or perhaps while it was in the midst of wasting your years in sin, And if you were, we should be grateful. You should be grateful that he called you at a time in life when 
you still had strength to serve him because we suffered more of a loss than we already had. Others were called into his service while they were later in their years of life. Perhaps they feel at this point they have wasted so many years that they can't be in any use at all. Their best years are gone. Whatever good there might be is, is just not enough. It's been squandered away in sin and selfishness, and yet he's called you. The point is this, we should never question his sovereign choice. If he has called you at the early morning or the third hour or the ninth hour and we've put him off, then shame on us. We need to come when he calls. But if he's called you even at the eleventh hour of life, praise him and go on. Whenever he called you into service, don't question the fact that he called you and when he called you. Now you know that this calling is not necessarily a calling that I have. I have a calling to preach the word. Your calling is not to stand here and preach the word. Maybe your calling is just to give your testimony to somebody you work with. Maybe your calling is to teach some children about the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe your calling is to do God's work in your family with your children, grandchildren, or brothers and sisters in their families. There's much work to be done in the Lord's kingdom. Go to the vineyard and work, knowing that He wants, that He knows what He's planned for you, and He will reward you rightfully for your faithful service. It's another encouragement we find in this parable. It's the day of reward. There comes a time when the 12 hours of daylight are spent and the work must come to an end. And it says in verse 8, So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. Now everyone may have been called a little differently. Some were called early, some were called later, some were called near the end. But for all who were called, there was a final call to come, and they were going to receive their wages. Which reminds us that no matter what our particular call to service in this kingdom may be, the Lord will not forget us. He will faithfully reward all those who faithfully serve Him. The writer of Hebrews says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And this is where the surprise comes in. The landowner deliberately commanded that the workers be paid in reverse order from when they were, uh, that had been expected, the beginning with the last to the first. And here we see another important principle we need to remember, the method of accounting the method of accounting. When those who were called to work in the vineyard at the eleventh hour came, they expected to be paid just a portion of the day's wage. And yet, to their surprise, they were given a full penny, a full denarius, a full day's wage. And I suggest this was an act of goodness on the part of the landowner, knowing that they had not been able to work a whole day because no one had hired them. He nevertheless gave them what they did not deserve. 
Do you see the grace? He gave them the means to provide for their families. He didn't reward them on the basis of human merit, but rather on the basis of grace. And do you notice that he specifically commanded that those last workers be paid first? He did this so that his grace to them would be displayed to those who followed them. He elevated those who were last to the place of being first. He did this in order to display his grace. And when they saw the last workers were paid a penny, of course, they expected they would receive more than they originally had contracted for. Perhaps the first workers even anticipated, hey, they got a whole penny, maybe I'm going to get 12 pennies. I worked 12 hours, but instead they received the same amount as the one who worked only an hour. When I think of this experience of the last workers and of the great grace that was shown to them, I think of the story of the thief on the cross next to the Lord. Luke tells us that Jesus, as he hung on the cross, one of the criminals who hung next to him and blasphemed him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Mark in his gospel even lets us know that the other criminal had chimed in and was blaspheming the Lord almost to the very end. And something that had happened in the heart of the dying criminal, he eventually turned to the first criminal and said, Dost not thou fear, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And we're told that he then said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto you, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Think of that. There was no time for this criminal to do any good deeds in order to make himself worthy. Time was running out. He didn't have any time to reform his life. All that he had time to do was call out to Jesus and say, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He was literally the 11th hour. You might even say that it was the the 11th hour of the 11th hour. I mean, it was down to the wire here. Yet Jesus promised that he would be that very day with him in paradise. And his single act of service to the kingdom, giving us an example of how to be saved has done more for the service of the kingdom than anyone could possibly estimate. Truly the last shall be first. And our Lord's wonderful method displays His grace. This leads us to the other workers and the final principle. We have no right to grumble. We have no right to grumble. They did, of course, grumble against the landowner. It says there that These last have wrought what one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden in the heat of the day. I suppose, or I suspect it was quite a picture, these last workers holding their penny with amazed looks on their faces, standing next to those poor, tired, sweaty, filthy first workers who had anger uh, looks on their face. Jesus says in the parable that one of them had to Uh, to be told to take his penny and go. 
which makes me wonder if he had even refused at first to receive it. Literally, he was told to take it up. Maybe he'd even taken the penny from his landowner and thrown it down and said in disgust, they got as much as I did. And the Lord says, take it up. Pick it up and get out of here. Go. These first workers were grumbling as if they had been treated unjustly. There was no injustice on the part of the landowner whatsoever. They had agreed from the very beginning to work for a penny. And that's exactly what they received. It's interesting to note that the other workers didn't agree to work for a penny. Did you notice that? The first ones agreed to work. The others didn't agree to work it. The landowner just told him, whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. There was no contract there, no, no agreement. The landowner explained to one of the more vocal of the first workers, friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not re- agree with me for a penny? Take that, thy, uh, that thine is and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. And why? It's because he didn't measure his labors on the basis of human standards, the standard of merit, but rather on the basis of grace. It was his right to do this, since it was his money to do with whatever he wished. And what's more, they were wrong to think wrongly about him because he was really a good landowner. If they had been thinking rightly, they would have accepted their penny graciously and also would have rejoiced gladly at the goodness of the landowner. Don't we have a good landowner? He gave to us a full day's wages, and he gave to that last person a full day's wage. Isn't he amazing? You see, that's the kind of thing they should have been saying. But no, they were griping. They were grumbling. Not only had the last become the first because of God's grace, but the first became last because of an evil attitude in their heart. And so... Our Lord's parable is summed up for us here, both at the beginning and the end. At the last verse of chapter 19 and the 16th verse here of chapter 20, the end of this parable, the last shall be first and the first last. This is because he is the master who values his laborers on the basis of his own sovereign grace. May we both be warned and encouraged by this parable. May we be warned never to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. May we remember that we are in His service, that if we are in His service at all, it's a great privilege. And we should praise His grace. And may we be encouraged never to think ourselves too unworthy of His service. If He calls us at any point in life, He does so as He chooses. And he's able not only to use us powerfully, but to also reward us graciously. Our great God is not like we are, is he? He thinks higher than we think, and he does things in a higher way than we do. And so let's be careful to think rightly about our service in his kingdom. And let's be joyful joyful about the work he's given us to do. Let's pray.